Hello everybody and welcome to the Alien vs Predator Galaxy podcast. This is episode 88 and I'm your regular host, Aaron Percival, or if you're a member of the boards and you follow our nerdy handles, I'm Corporal Hicks. Joining me are my regular partners in crime and co-hosts, Adam Zeller aka Ridgetop. Hello again everyone. And Eric Adams who goes by the handle of Xenomorphin. Welcome one and all. And we're also joined by a special guest star today. If you're on the boards he is Ultramorph. If you are in real life he is uh, Michael Green. Thanks for joining us Michael. Thanks good to be here. Uh, you know what this this is a uh, how long ago were you on? Uh, a month ago I was on for the uh, last one we did. Hmm, which was dead no not dead orbit um just to dust. Just, just to dust. Yeah. And this episode, we're talking comics again, and we're actually going to be talking about one I've been looking forward to since I had rumblings that it was happening. We haven't really talked about this a lot between each other, so I'm going to be curious to know what page everybody's on in regards to this. Um, and we're talking about William Gibson's Alien 3, aka Alien 3, the unproduced screenplay. And I think there was some other moniker on on one of the issues as well. Uh, But I just go by William Gibson's Alien 3. And this was written, adapted, um, line work by Johnny Christmas, who we recently spoke to. should be our last episode, 87. And it was coloured by Tamara Bonvillain. Is that how you'd pronounce that? Bonvillain? Bonvillain? It's spelled Bonvillain. And they also did covers, the standard covers, with variant covers by Daniel Warren Johnson and Mike Spicer. So, I guess short, the short story of what everybody feels before we uh, get into specifics. As our guest, Ultramorph, kick it off. What did you think? Uh, well, I just reread it this morning. I had read the you know first couple issues as they came out, and I, I think all said and done, I'm really glad that Dark Horse and Fox decided to do this just as an experiment. It was really fun to see some of the ideas they were kicking around in the, in the lead up to uh, to Alien Three. I don't think it's a perfect uh, script or a perfect comic. It definitely has some uh, some issues, but it's a it's a pretty cool what if story, which we usually don't get in the uh, in the Alien universe. Xenomorphin. Yeah, I think you have to look at a project like this in two ways. As an adaptation, I think it was fairly well done. But me personally, I felt it was hampered by a script which could get confusing at times. I think it did a relatively good job of untangling some of the messier aspects of it. But yeah, as... As an adaptation, I think it was well done. But as, you know, a script and all, if you include the story, wasn't really my cup of tea. Okay, that's fair. And Ridgetop? I'm kind of on the same page as you guys. I, I'm a very mixed feelings about this. I love the concept. I love the fact that we finally get a comic representation of something that was in development and a full script was written, but we never saw a movie up. So to see that in comic form was really cool. But I, I think you're right, Eric. I think it did illustrate some of the, the issues with the screenplay because some of the same things I found confusing about the screenplay, I also found that confusing about the comic. There are some pacing issues where I think where it just starts when something's already happened and you're like, wait, what, what now? So yeah, it's, it's a very mixed bag for me. I am leaning more positive because I like the artwork. I think um, Johnny Christmas did a, a great job on that. And the dialogue is is good as well. You know, Hicks feels like Hicks, as as does Newt, but she kind of leaves the story halfway through, but we'll get to that. Yeah, the, the artwork and, and the xenomorphs, they, they look good. I like some of the imagery, but then there's things that uh, 
I was kind of iffy about like I the whole Cold War vibe. Like I'm like, eh, I don't know. That feels pretty dated to me. I mean, I guess it wouldn't at the time, but well, maybe it would have. Yeah, because that was what early '90s. Like it, it was getting there. But I think we actually talked about that in um, in a script episode when we did his first draft, and I think it ended up still being, you know, it was still taking place. The Berlin Wall was still up at that point. I think. I'm sure we Googled it in the middle of it all because that was a question we raised then. Would it have been dated at the time? Well, it would be now. Yeah, and I think there was... um, Didn't Star Trek put out a a film around that time-ish that also dealt with Cold War issues? I mean, even if it had gone, it was still fresh in the popular culture consciousness, I think, the Cold War. Um, These days, looking at it, you've... Yeah, these days, looking at it as a, a fresh comic, it kind of still works because of you know, China's belligerent actions at the moment in the South China Sea. So you've still got those sort of, you know, blocks of countries at the moment. But yeah, it's, um, I mean, I don't know, because you, some people, when you watch Aliens and some people on the forums, they say, well, what were the colonial Marines there to typically do? So there is that background of there must be hostile nation states. Yeah, so I, I, I think it, fits within you know the narrative the continuity of the alien verse as it were but um yeah i mean some people who hadn't didn't grow up with the cold war might think oh that's a bit weird we could could talk about the upp specifically in a bit though yeah i kind of i kind of did a, a tangent but just to kind of finish aaron in summary i think it's decent not great there's issues i have with it but again overall i'd say i enjoyed it i'm glad it wasn't the alien 3 we got in the theaters, but I'm also glad we got to see this vision for it as well. Yeah, so that's about it. And I know I was going to ask this question later, but I'm going to bring it up now because just so we know what frame of reference people are going from, because you guys have talked about adapting the script. Let's just say where we're coming from, actually, because as far as I know, none of you have read the second draft. Yeah, I've read the first. I haven't read the second. I've been meaning to. Correct, yeah. I've read none of the scripts whatsoever. Not even the first? Not even, no. Okay. So, that's kind of interesting in itself, actually. Xenomorph in Ridgetop, do you, do you remember much of the first one, the first draft? I just remember it was more more crazy. Like, it almost felt like a Robert Rodriguez movie or something. Like, you had all these... <laughs> I still remember this scene where all these chestbursters were just coming out of somebody's legs or whatever. Yeah, I mean, it could have been fun in that regard. Just, like, if it, if it was that style, like, just an ultra-violent grindhouse, like... It wouldn't be fitting for Alien, of course, but that's what that's kind of the vibe I got of the original script. And compared to this comic, it felt like this comic had tried to I mean, the beats were the same. The story and the locations and the characters were all the same, but it just seemed like it kind of tried to temper that third act a bit in this one. Okay, so uh, listeners, that's where they're at. I have read the second draft. I'm quite fond of it, actually, which we'll get into, obviously, through this. But that's where we're coming from in terms of previous knowledge of the comic of the story it's based on my thoughts on it then i can't differ too much from what you guys have said it is in general a very faithful adaptation of gibson's second draft there are certain elements that have changed but nothing massively significant so you've got some scenes reordered you've got mostly little snippets of dialogue that have been caught the major elements that have changed with it there's a scene between halliday and hicks that sort of introduces those two and you get a bit of like background on on anchor point uh, that's gone from the comic and 
also her death is different in the comic she dies when she's pulled into the into the water with the uh, with the new beast but in the script she survives until a little later on but th- that's pretty much the only significant change between the, the comics and the script so to that point it is a very faithful adaptation most of the story's issues are from the script now while i do love this particular draft and think it's my favorite of what we could have had there is no denying that i do think this needed a a third draft because there's there's certain elements of it that are rough Uh, in particular i have issues with fox's motivation for for flipping out it was fox yes the the male guy which is present in the comic because it's present in the script and that was very much johnny christmas's intention you know he wanted it to be a faithful adaptation i like johnny's art I'm not keen on Tamara's colouring. I really don't like the colour palette in this. I think it's far too 90s. I don't like it. It's, it's, it's too light for me. It did feel a bit retro-y like a comic we would see in the 90s. Yeah, but I, I kind of thought that worked to its credit, honestly. Like, it felt like one of those older Aliens comics. And I, I think the colours and the action, especially with the xenomorphs, like, I think it worked for me. But yeah, it did. it did look retro, for sure. I'm not a huge fan of the colour palettes the older fil- the older comics use, so that's why I don't. I'm not too keen on it, especially coming off of some of the stuff we've had recently, like Dead Orbit and Dust to Dust. They felt more they felt more alien to me. This this one's Dead Orbit. It, it was interesting. Dead Orbit ha- it had a very retro look to its line art, but its colours were more modern. I did wonder if the colour palette was a deliberate choice because it is an ad- an adaptation of an older script. But if it was a deliberate choice, I think it would have been better. It's like when you're remastering a film, do you keep the film grain in or do you try and polish it up as much as possible? I think it would have, if it was a deliberate choice, because they're trying to recall, you know, it was from that era of comics, I think it would have been better if they had used a more modern style. Mm, I, I think so. But we can get into that again more specifically in a bit. So I did enjoy this. It was great to actually see gibson stuff visualized because none of that was none of that was visualized you know stuff didn't actually start getting put down on paper until ward got involved so eric red stuff toey's stuff gibson stuff you know there's no concept art for that so it was it was great to see this in in that respect i'm also very pleased that they've gone for this because this has been something i've and when i say gone for this i mean adapted one of the older script because there's been something i thought would be really good for Alien since I discovered the Star Wars, you know, the adaptation of George Lucas's original script. So I'm glad to see it finally happen. And I hope it's been successful enough to warrant more. I really do. But yeah, in general, I liked it. My main issues just in that, you know, I don't, I'm not keen on the colouring and it being such a faithful adaptation is pluses and, you know, minuses to that which we'll obviously get into in a bit. So if you are listening to this and you've got this far, uh, there are going to be spoilers. We are going to go over the details. If you've read the second draft, you'll obviously know what's going to happen anyway. If you'd rather read the comic and come back and, um, you know, listen to us after you've already read the comic, do that. If not, we will just summarise the story and go from there. So, Ultramorph, kick us off, please. What the hell happens in William Gibson's Alien 3? All right, I'll do my best. So it picks up right where we left with uh, Alien 2, our aliens, with the egg on the Sulaco. 
except instead of crash landing on a prison planet, the ship gets intercepted by some space communists, the Union of Progressive Peoples, who, of course, uh, meet a grisly fate when they board the ship. And what ensues is a uh, Cold War story where everyone's favorite, Wayland yutani is uh, competing with the UPP, both trying to weaponize the alien. As usually happens, things go wrong. Hicks and Newt are also in the story. Ripley is in there briefly. But then the UPP gets kind of written out about three quarters of the way through, and then it turns into a kind of proto-Prometheus, where people start mutating and turning into xenomorph hybrids. And then it ends on a kind of a cliffhanger of uh, trying to track the aliens down to the source. It's a it's an interesting story. <laughs> yeah, and there are a lot of things in this that Covenant does seem to have aped as well, which I constantly regret that I did not ask Ridley about when I got to I got my three questions with him because I wasted. It's them. very also yeah. sorry. I was just going to say in in the beginning when the UPP boards the Salako, that only one of them gets gets face hugged, and I guess the egg is it has been planted within Bishop when he was kind of cut in half by the queen so i guess that kind of goes with the same like emergency egg method that's been theorized for the alien three we did get but that's that's kind of weird that it would have just grown within him as well but yeah only one of the upp soldiers gets face hugged and the rest get out of there quickly and it creates this like diplomatic tension through the the first half of the story where the UPP has Bishop's lower or upper half and the the main station that we have that recovers the Sulaco, the anchor point station, that they have Bishop's lower half. And that's where they source both of their alien material from and experiment on it before things, you know, go awry. So shall we, where should we start? Shall, should we talk all the multiple aliens? Well, yeah, that's that's one of the, the interesting things about this comic is that the, these aliens are essentially just cloned from from both factions really and tinkered with and tinkered with although the the tinkering is a bit more obvious with the one from anchor point it looks different and the aliens end up fighting each other later in the story so a few genocide vibes there i guess well isn't that the one on anchor point that's the one that burst from the guy that got left behind and face hugged isn't it which weirdly sort of hides in a big cube of machinery for no apparent oh you're right you're right okay that was there was there is one just regular alien well it's the one from the egg that grew in bishop yeah yeah and that's the one that fights the cloned alien on anchor point later and that's actually a fix from the first draft as well in the first draft there's just adult aliens because he uh, the the upp guy kurtz actually gets taken back if i remember rightly or shot into space something like that he he doesn't stay on the Solaco. um so that was a minor change that they happened here where they had him run off into the ships um that ends up in the crew quarters so that's where the alien actually comes from the the Gibson did clean that up a bit for this version, which I like, you know, coming from the two, because I like, you know, knowing where stuff's from. So, yeah, there's, there's three different versions of the alien. There is the traditional one that's grown out of this egg that sort of developed from Bishop's insides, presumably from where the Queen speared him, I guess. There's the version that the Anchor Point crew grow, and they actually start with miniature eggs who maybe they would have grown into full-size eggs, I don't know. But they release like a spore reminiscent of the moats from, from Covenant that then infect two characters, which then burst from within their bodies. Not 
in the usual sense. It's like they completely transform the host. It's a very different, very different. They they do a fly field basically. Yeah, yeah, that would that would be a good way of putting it. I've kind of thought of it like because you see, and they have this as one of the comic uh, covers as well. That's really cool. It's almost like um, a werewolf kind of transformation because like the skin literally just rips apart and then you have a full grown adult alien. There's no chest burster. And I think that was a difference between the first and second draft of the screenplays as well, right? Because you did have chest bursters coming out. They they were chest bursters on anchor point, but the main ones were like that where they, they came out the skin, basically. Oh, that's right. And there's a third version on the Redina, which is basically they, they grow the chestburster. They skip the other stages and they grow the chestburster, which is their version. And visually in this, there's not a whole lot of difference between them. The script and the dialogue does make a point of pointing out that, you know, the Redina's versions had been had been played with they had been genetically modified and there's a point made of how easy the alien dna is to modify like you know there's speculation that it was the end result of another species's own cold war that the the upp and wayland are currently going through which is something i actually always liked i know it's i know the ancient weapon kind of thing isn't always up everybody's you know street but i i like that angle but i've never i've never been sure on how i feel about how the aliens have have been portrayed in in this particular story as i guess somebody completely unfamiliar with with gibson's attempt to alien 3 ultramorph how did how did you feel about the aliens in this and then their portrayal i mean i think that's actually part of what's so interesting about this comic and and the time that it's coming because after getting prometheus and alien covenant it really doesn't surprise or bother me I feel like if you've seen those films, you're going to be kind of familiar with what happens here. I mean, trying to look at it in just sort of how people might have reacted to this in 1991, it does kind of throw a lot of what was established in the first two movies and just say, there's a whole other way they reproduce. Here's an entirely different way the species behaves. And I think it's interesting, and and I'd potentially like to see more of it, but I can definitely see how this could have put people off if they had actually walked into the theater and seen this, especially after the the second movie. And, you know, what a big deal that made about sort of establishing the rules of the queen and the egg uh, and and everything like that. Because the queen's completely absent from this particular take, the second one. Uh, The first draft actually had two queens it had i think it had a couple of queens in it yeah the queen does get mentioned um when they access bishop's files they they say oh his memory files they say oh bishop has speculated that once uh, a nest gets within you know enough potential hosts then any adult becomes a queen but that's it aside from that it the, the queen is not shown here and i think we said when we were doing a podcast about the first draft of the script, even though this is tempered down, it's not as crazy as the first draft was. It basically feels, it doesn't feel like an alien verse film. It feels like a, a Resident Evil type thing, which back then in the early 90s might have been more of a novelty, but it wouldn't have, it completely does away with the potential for, you know, psychosexuality and what the face hugger represents and that. It's just like you're infected and you just turn into one. I'm sure someone will do a thing at some point saying, oh, this had depth. It was, show, it was showing, you know, the fear of communism is within us all sort of thing. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, some films that, you know, Invasion of the Body Snatchers, it, it works for that. And some of, I think, 
George Romero's stuff and that. But here, it it does it does away with what makes the alien the alien, and it's just everything's a sort of a screechy kill thirsty mess and that's how it works for this it doesn't it, there's no going back to what makes the alien the alien it's just everything's sort of like psycho zombies in this i gotta agree with you fully there eric and it it honestly kind of speaks to the problems that i had with prometheus and covenant like i don't mind the alien as a created bioweapon concept what i do mind is when it feels like the alien's life cycle is just very arbitrary and viral and like hyper mutations and stuff like that like where a thing can just go into someone's ear and bam a couple hours later it's like out of his back and it's just i don't know it's just not what i prefer to the the original i guess life cycle of the alien like i like resident evil a lot and i like the alien franchise a lot but i don't think the alien franchise works when it feels like the xenomorphs are operating like the kind of mutations you would see in resident evil and and this had a lot of that. Now, granted, I still think some of the imagery was really cool. Like, I like the werewolf transformations. Like, whoa, that's, that's pretty cool and different. So, like, I kind of lean towards, like, eh, maybe I could get into it. But I've just never liked that whole thing we've seen in the prequels where it's a, a more viral method of infection rather than a, a traditional, a defined life cycle. I always remember finding, when I remember when I first read his uh, Gibson's first draft and, and, and hating that take, hating that interpretation. But because I like this second draft more, I think it's much more restrained. You know, there's only one of everything. We don't have a queen puffing out all the airborne particles like we did in the first one. So I give it a lot of props for, for that restraint. I think I've mellowed out even more to this concept of, of a viral alien because I do, I find it interesting, you know, this possibility that the alien is one of different variants that are possible from you know from from the black goo from the accelerant as as a blueprint or as a guide or something i i find it interesting i like i really like the neomorphs actually not too keen on the deacon but i like i really like the neomorphs but i totally get what i'd you guys agree with you from. there yeah it's i do find it in i i used like way back in like the news group days i i was with a group of people we tried to do you know what happened at had least hope as a script just you know for fun we were just going to see how it went and one of the ideas i think i was responsible i can't swear to it but i think i was responsible and i said well how about when you know they go back to the derelict because they're going to go and find russ jordan what if they if they or the jordans when they were down in the derelict or what's beneath it or whatever in that egg chamber what if there was another section to that egg chamber because it goes right around the corner what if you saw some symbology on the walls that the characters wouldn't understand, but maybe we would understand. Like you'd see a, a symbol that looks vaguely like a, a crest for a queen, and you see those kind of eggs that, you know, you've got all these sections which might make up a composite of a, a weapon system, and the alien, as we've, as we've seen it, is only one component of that. And I like the idea, as you say, that there are different elements to what could make up something. You know, the, the alien could be one part of a whole. Even if it's naturally evolved, it's been, you know, modified, perhaps. It, it's been weaponized long ago. But if you're going to do a story that deals with the alien, don't turn the alien itself exclusively into this viral thing that just, as I said, like a psycho zombie have the alien doing alien things and have something else, as you say, like in the prequels, like the Neomorphs or whatever, 
they are their own thing. If you're going to have a film that revolves exclusively around the alien, have the alien do its own thing and then, you know, separate them, make the neomorphs do their neomorph thing. Deacons do the deacon thing. The trilobite do the trilobite thing. The hammerpees do the hammerpees. Don't turn the alien into something it's not because you might try and add quality. You know, it can breed that much faster, but by doing that, you dilute it. You take away some of the strengths. And I think in this, if if they'd made a point of impressing, done, you know, really emphasizing the fact that, well, maybe we can't create the original template, but maybe if we modify it and we're going to make a new creature, that would have worked a bit better. I think there is some of that in this part because you do see the, you know, the one that burst out, the guy that came out of Bishop's Egg. It does have a fight with the modified version, but it's when you're reading through the comic and the script, it does feel like, well, these are essentially no different to normal aliens. It's just that they, they can do all this other crazy Resident Evil type stuff. And that, it, it felt like it diluted the alien from what it was. But I agree with you. I like the idea of different, you know, you, you can have this thing that goes off in different tangents but making a whole story that revolves around this creature do more to differentiate it so the audience knows this is something else this isn't the alien we're not trying to pretend this is the alien like a you know wolf in sheep's coat clothing sort of thing make the alien the alien don't turn it into the thing because once you turn it into the thing you know it's a it becomes a different film it becomes a different story and i think in this comic and, and script it did suffer from that because it felt more cartoonish and it didn't have sort of that ominous gravitas that an alien film when they're at their best has even with the um and i'm sure we're going to come on to this later but the version of alien 3 we ultimately got on the big screen you know i'm not a big fan of it but it does have more of that ominous vibe to it because the alien is the alien it isn't the thing and in this one it does suffer from trying to be turned into the thing okay two, two things before i forget it's interesting you mentioned the derelict thing uh, the idea of the different containers because that's actually something that the john spates did in his pre-prometheus scripts and we may have talked about it when we went through alien engineers actually because i think david mentioned something about each of the cargo holds holding different variations of the alien because that's all more distinctively about a proto alien that's then been fucked about with so that, that that's yeah. an interesting suggestion from from back in the olden days second then so your your issue with with the multiple versions you know the the thing version the normal version is that they aren't differentiated enough and one could and i'm assuming well even even the normal version has things that happen that we've never seen before that are strange like bishop just having an egg in him when he got yeah. ripped in half like how did that happen like we were talking about earlier when you see the hives and apparently these people are still alive but yeah yeah that's what i mean but these people were all so they find these hives that are apparently just from the the standard alien where these people are obviously being mutated and but still alive i'm not sure that's the take well didn't you check in the script and that's kind of what it said like he was still alive i mean you look in the comic and his his limbs are elongated like he looks like he's mutating i think that's down to interpretation though i mean from the script so let's read out the passage just so everybody's even the listeners as well are going off the same page so we're talking about the traditional in quotation marks alien here as establishes like a mini hive the visuals in 
the script in the comics do leave a bit up to interpretation as to what's happening. Obviously, Ridgetop takes it as being a mutation thing. So the script says, The beast has been busy. The interior of the shuttle has become a miniature version of the unused grotto set, HRG, HR Giga, designed for Alien, an obscene temple with Fox, still horribly alive, its centerpiece. Ideally, this should be the film's most memorable set, simultaneously suggesting biological function, religion, and some utterly inhuman art form. So my take on this is that with it specifically calling out the hive, the grotto from Alien, which I assume means the egg morphing sequence and how that was set up, I think you could assume that perhaps those could have potentially been egg morphed or were intending to be egg morphed. But because I I don't I don't get I don't get the mutated feeling from it, and I think it's possibly just because I'm I always sort of have this bit in my mind. I mean, yes, they're very grotesquely kind of drawn but i think the aliens on the redina follow the same sort of structure i think that's just johnny christmas's hive style personally feel free to uh, interpret i mean it, it wasn't just me it was eric that got that vibe as well but it, it does look like something's happening yeah. to his body that's not just the body being ripped apart or deformed like it looks like he's <laughs> being mutated apart but that's just how i took it so yeah and i i take it that way too and it's mostly just because if you look at his face i mean look at what's happening to his upper jaw i mean it's it's completely off to the side we can't see the top of yeah what's happening but i mean i i I take it that there was there was some mutation or something going on yeah there's it definitely looks like a depiction of one of these things that's halfway transformed or something because you do see regular cocoon victims you could see the guy that looks like lenin and he's cocooned and that's really different from how this is depicted i will say i like the visual but i think i would have been interested in more of what you read out there from the description with the sort of like a religious iconography kind of like what we got in the in prometheus with the some of the engravings and the deacon like engraving thing. i think like an organic version of that might have been what the writer may have intended but yeah it is this is one of those parts that i said earlier that it still does get a little confusing and messy because you're not quite sure what you're meant to interpret from this and i i I think this is just one of those things where as we've just proven some readers are going to have one interpretation others are going to have another and some of them are probably going to think to themselves well maybe the artist couldn't figure it out so they just did you know let themselves go with whatever they wanted but um yeah some of the cocoon victims look like typical hadley's hope you know someone trapped in resin and others it it looked like skeletal arm and the the head is sort of falling up it's something else is going on there i think yeah the the cocoon uh victims in the upp station look normal which is weird because that was one of the tinkered with aliens um yeah they're they're paid back to back page to page i mean you flip it over it's it's night and day there's there's at least in my eyes clearly something different going on with uh with the second guy yeah and that's supposed to be the normal alien which is weird so kind of finish my thoughts on the whole concept of the xenomorph in this like I don't need the xenomorph to be overly rigid as a concept either. Like, I think you can learn new things about the life cycle like we did in Alien 3 with the DNA reflex. Things that, oh, we didn't know that before. Like, even, I know I always bring up AVPR. Even the belly bursters with AVPR, I thought that didn't 
that didn't okay that didn't break things but when and and even like biological tinkering well, with the alien to a degree <laughs> the whole chat thing broke things it, okay we won't we won't get into get that, that too much we need to do a podcast on that but all i'm saying is you can have variations and learn cycle that i don't think break the integrity of the life cycle and you can even do biological yeah. tinkering with that. I don't know, different different creatures that were born of, of cloning or whatever. I'm fine with those concepts. But where, where you start to lose me and where the prequels lost me was when it's just this arbitrary viral infection, just this black goo that does whatever the plot needs it to. And it just like does not make sense. And it's less of a biological animal and more of just this crazy viral infectious thing which i i think feels less alien to me you say that and i totally get the thing comparison you know that um xenomorphin said earlier but it's still it's still invasive body horror it is but it goes from like like you were saying eric it goes from the kind of psychosexual vibe that that giger was very well known for with the defined life cycle to just only really in the first film to just infection body horror, to just you know you know what I'm saying. It's it's a very different vibe. Like the fly from implantation to infection and mutation. I don't think the psychosexual thing's been present at all since the first film, really. I'm just talking about the life cycle itself. I mean, maybe it was more present in the it first was, film. It was definitely in aliens, because you had that whole sequence of, you know, Ripley holding the face hugger away and her going <gasps> and the tube there were obvious subtext in that and i agree it hasn't been edited as much as it should which was one of the things i liked about the interviews we had with we saw rather with neil blomkamp when he said one of the things he wants to do is return it to psychosexuality but even if a story itself doesn't deal with that by turning the alien into something it's not only isn't but was never intended to be you take away the potential for it to be returned to that in future i i do i agree i liked the visuals i like some of the the scenes where you see you know especially the blonde woman and she's turning into this thing although weirdly she's still talking about ah the company's going to drive you down into the ground but she's turning into this thing the actual transformation sequence on that yeah kudos to johnny christmas that was really nicely done i like it did look very the fly like but it at the same time as a concept i'm not too hot with it being applied to the alien i think applied to some other genetic offshoot which technically this is but that's pretty much all you see and the other thing that's weird about the cocoons is even the the cocoons that are normal cocoons we don't see any eggs there so you do get the impression why are they being cocooned and that that's one of the other bits that feels what, what am I watching here? Because what's the point of it happening? I'm fine with that being mysterious, but at the same time, it kind of goes to to one of the things I mentioned about Alien Covenant, where you have the backburster. Who? What was the character's name that was infected with the backburster? Ledwood. Ledwood. Okay. So yeah, it all happens very quickly. Uh, it gets in his ear, and his body is like he's he's not having a good time. Like he's really sick. Uh, he's convulsing. He's shaking. He's obviously like in. Uh, tremendous amount of pain before his body like pretty much gives up before the backbursting even happens which is very different from from that's like infection pain suffering horror which is very different from like you've been implanted with something and you might feel mostly fine but there's this ticking clock like that's more of a psychological horror and i think when you have both in the same thing 
it one distracts from the other. And so I, it, that's kind of where I am with it. Like I've, I've just, I like viral, uh, and infection sci-fi horror as well. I love the thing movies. Those are some of my favorite films, but I think for the alien, one of the things that makes it so unique is that, you know, the, the biomechanical psychosexual aspect of it that we've talked about. And I think turning it into an, an infection type body horror rather than a psychological type body horror cheapens it, in my opinion. But we've already talked about that too yeah, much, and, so and we I, can I, move on. I think that's more of a overall thing at the minute now when we take into Coven into account. I want to ask you impressions of specifically the visual differentiation, the visual representations of the, the different aliens in this. Thoughts on those? Was it enough? Could there have been more? I mean, it, it did look mostly the same. It just you had the eye sockets, and then you were seeing the colorist added these red these red eyes. But otherwise, it just looked like a slightly bigger warrior. There was also with the uh, with the hybrid. It seems like its inner mouth is sort of more flexible like a snake you see it kind of snaking around a little bit in some scenes which was kind of cool yeah it's like a tongue uh, human tongue yeah. sort of thing i mean I, I was kind of hoping for more especially because i i actually really love the visual where she finds tully in the freezer after seeing that i was like oh we're in for something really really cool when we see these hybrids toward the end and they kind of didn't go far enough with that as as far as i'm concerned but there's some good visuals but i, I wish they'd done more with the modified xenomorph uh, much more distinction then visually or just just more in general just more visual distinction i think would have i mean behavioral i mean obviously there's there's plenty that's distinct but visually they could have done more i <laughs> i do agree with you but I will always say yay to um, the skull. <laughs> so that, that's, that's that's a win in my book. Even yeah. if it's outside the dome. Well, it wasn't outside the dome. Yeah, it was. Just, its face was a skull. It wasn't it, under. Still a dome. There's still a dome. There's still a dome. It's it's like the first alien. It's just that you you see the skull more obviously. That's all. It is under the you know that front circular. Yeah. I thought it was like oh. Aliens Colonial Marines where they have the yeah, skins like where the there's just no... No, no. It's just that the dome part is almost transparent, that's all. It's just that the skull's more obvious. It when it Most obviously when it um, emerges. I'm going to try and find it now. You're talking about the greenhouse thing. No, when it bursts. Uh, here we go. Uh, issue four. One, two, three, four, five. Fifth page of actual art. There's very distinctively the, the transparent effect of the uh, of the dome and the skull under it. You pay more attention, bar. You're right. I was mainly focused on the uh, the greenhouse bit where it's reintroduced after it <laughs> Yeah, no, it's so not the, it's not newborn stuff. Because if if you go to that page, if you go to where it comes back and attacks the woman in the greenhouse. No, I guess you can still kind of tell. It's just less obvious, yeah. The panel where it's emerging from the shadows, it's there. A bit more subtle, but it's there. But yeah, it does look kind of like it completely vanishes. And because the, the, the eyes, the red eyes are given, um, they take up like most of your attention. So you're focusing on the eye sockets and, and the eyes. Now, as much as I like seeing the eye, uh, the eye sockets... You don't like the red eyes? <laughs> I, I'm not sure. I wasn't terribly fussed because I like... The idea of empty eye sockets is what I like the idea of. You know, I get we always we always have this um, chat. The pro skull anti skull yeah, chat. The pro skull anti skull, and and you know the the big anti skull thing is that you don't know where it's looking. And I like the eye sock, the empty eye sockets, because it doesn't have eyes, and you still don't know where it's looking. Yeah. No, it's it's yeah, like it, it gives it more like a ghost look. Yeah. Well, we we don't talk about the newborn. <laughs> it it's not about that you don't know where it's looking. Me personally, I like both 
I I like the socket and I like the completely blank thing. The thing about when an alien is depicted without eye socket, as it was in Aliens, the thing about that is not that you don't know where it's looking, it's that psychologically it forces the subconscious, it will make the viewer concentrate on the teeth and the jaw, like the, the thing that will do the damage. That's the adv- the artistic, the aesthetic value of the no eyes thing. When it's got eyes, there is also a pro to that because it will remind the viewer instinctively of a grim reaper. I will say in this particular depiction, I don't think the, the red eyes, I think it would have benefited, as Hicks said, with empty eyes. Because you also, you know, empty eyes, it makes you feel like it, it's got no soul sort of thing. But the problem I had with this, I've noticed some artists do this when they do depict it with eye sockets. If you do it like Giga did, where it is a skull, if they are just empty eye sockets and they are just round blank, it brings home that, this is the, you know, they have a primal, when you're a child, you have this primal relation to seeing a skeleton, like a Ray Harryhausen film, because it's emotionless. It's, I think some of these actually, he makes them look angry, but um, typically when you're a child, you see a skull, it looks emotional. It's not capable of expressing emotion so it feels more alien this had the problem for me that i've noticed some artists do where if they depict an alien with eye sockets they make it look like the skull has somehow got muscles and it's it's cause it's making that frown like the newborn does so it's making it look angry and i suppose they they did it to make it look more predatory and feral but the problem with that is it thinking how does the skull use it, it shouldn't it's meant to be solid bone and when it's just that empty eye sockets it's not frowning it's not looking angry it's not ex- making a facial expression when it's just that blank stare and all you've got of it expressing its mood or whatever you want to call it is is whether it's you know peeling back those lips and hissing at the victim then it become you know it's it's dangerous but when it looks angry, it looks really pissed off. It'll look like that or it's got constipation or something. It it changes it from something enigmatic and like this nightmarish phantom. Like if you saw a, an alien just coming towards you and it's got those eye sockets, you can't tell what it's thinking, but it looks like this nightmarish, horrific phantasm. And it just looks ethereal. And you you can't relate to it because it cannot express emotions. But you see those teeth, you see those talons, you see that tail. You know it doesn't mean something nice, but it looks way more demonic because it is not expressing anger. It is not expressing happiness. Is it not expressing sadism? It harkens back to that original monologue from Ash where he said, you know, you know, it's structural perfection. It doesn't, it's not, I forget the exact word, but you know, no, it, it's beyond... Yeah, it doesn't have ethics or morals. It just it does what it, yeah, uncloud yeah, delusions of morality. Because when he says that, it, it brings home to the viewer, well, maybe these are you know human constructs. To the alien, it's be it's transcended that, but it's transcended it as a horrific, not even killing machine, but a breeding machine, and it is just it it doesn't think like we do. when it's got a skull that looks like it's permanently angry or pissed off like the newborn did 
It just it takes yeah no it when it has a blank when they are literally circular eye sockets to me that looks much more horrific it it makes it it transcends it to another level of horror because it, it's just it's not human whereas if it's expressing that makes it more human yeah, it makes yeah, yeah. you okay, anthropomorphize okay, yeah. it yeah but personally if I had to choose I prefer eyeless because it does force the viewer to to focus on the teeth but honestly i'm 50 50 if one has eye sockets i love it just as much but i don't like it when it looks angry and the all of these ones always look angry and i think they missed out on something that could have been done with these if they just made them blank and expressions except for the you know the hissing and the lips so i honestly like i don't know i think you can give the alien sometimes different expressions but as long as it's like subtle like it it almost looks like stompy in alien isolation is kind of smiling a bit i don't know if you got that impression aaron but just the way his mom yeah sometimes it kind of looks like that but yeah no i'm i'm not definitively one side pro or anti-skull either i i just prefer like if you have the skull have it be subtle, have it that it's under the dome and you can only see it under certain light. Not that it's just right there and obvious. I do. I do like the indifference sort of notion of it. You know, the, the, the not emotive skull to, to your point, just to, to give, you know, the anti-scholars the, um, the credit. I know you said the thing about forcing it to forcing the eyes to the teeth, but you know, when Giga always talks about it, they talk specifically about not knowing where the alien is looking as, as a fear element. So your interpretation is just as good, but you know, when, when Giga talks about it, he, he talk specifically uh, about the well to some degree but i mean because it's based on the human skull they are looking forward so just instinctively i think anyone who looks at an alien with a skull they will just psychologically assume it's looking forward to its victim anyway so i don't think that can be avoided well to be fair you know the the aliens always actually the direction of its head is the direction of where it's going and stuff like that so that's that's kind of a moot point really i guess yeah I, mean, I, I like the idea that the entire head could be one big lens to some extent. <laughs> um, Ultramorph, have, have you discussed this one? I can't remember. No, and, and I would say, I mean, as, as far as the actual comic is concerned, I'm okay with, in this instance, the, the sort of hybrid alien having eyes, because I think they could have actually, obviously I don't know what's in the script versus what's in the comic. They could have done something interesting there with, is this still the person it hatched out of? you know is is the person still injured to some degree so giving them eyes i think could have actually been kind of interesting i think from an artistic perspective the red dots are way too terminator and the first time i saw them i was like what's <laughs> going on is this alien versus Good point. terminator 2 but yeah I, I don't agree with the red dots but i think i think the eyes could have been could have been used more effectively here yeah they don't they don't actually differentiate the sort of appearances in the script so this was very all up in the air as to what everything would look like i was actually expecting something a bit more neomorphish just because of how much i now associate this kind of thing with the neomorphs and covenant so i was a little surprised <laughs> that they went you know big chap skull i i do think i would have liked to have seen a bit more differentiation you know make it a little bit the new ones, the Redina ones, more distinctive from the traditional aliens. I do feel like that was a little bit of a missed a missed thing there. But then again, not going crazy is also a good thing in our books. You know, we, we didn't need... Uh, not going crazy is good. Yeah. 
I don't know. Mantis aliens are cool, though. That was one of my first alien toys. So Bull was mine. I wanted that and the snake one I wanted, and I was never able to find, damn it. In terms of the comics, though, if you want to see that kind of thing in there, just read um, the original Cloning Marines. They have all sorts of crazy crap like that in there. Or That's the little true. comics they have the that... whale alien in that one. And... Yeah. Or the little comics. They never explain the bug men, though. Now, well, we're not going to get into Clone Marines now. I was, just, <laughs> I was just pointing out that it had crazy aliens in. Yeah, I, I, I did like like the sharks and things in the Fire and Stone one, where they did have that biomechanical look on all the other wildlife. That looked really nice. And you also had the the little comics that actually came with the Kenner figures back in the day as well. Indeed, I think they would Dark Horse who produced those as well. That would be they cool were. if Dark Horse did a compilation comic that just had all those little comics. I know it probably wouldn't be very long because they were all very short issues, but it would be cool. They were a, a little crazy. <laughs> I mean, if we're throwing ideas out there, I, I would love to see Dark Horse do an Operation Alien comic, almost almost a what if like this, if they just went full crazy and had uh, <laughs> Yellow Bandana Ripley fighting, you know, with us, uh, you know, Cyber Eye Bishop fighting the Snake Alien and the Gorilla Alien. I, mean, I would get behind that, yeah, yeah, for sure. Exactly. I would buy, I would buy that. No, don't give them ideas. <laughs> I was hoping that they'd have done updated versions of those comics for NECA's, um, you know, reimaginations. They, they did. They did. I um, thought it was just the originals. You're right. They are original. I thought you just meant available no, to get. I, yeah, I, if you buy some of the figures, you can get them. But I wanted, like, you know, updated kind of takes on it in terms of updated artwork kind of thing. But, yeah, we digress. Yeah, we've gone on a few tangents here. But back to this this comic, I guess. I, I do really appreciate that they did this, even if I'm not totally on board with some of the concepts. And I'm glad that this idea wasn't Alien 3. It's always interesting to see those what if scenarios. And I think William Gibson did have a, have a few good ideas in there that, that made for some really interesting imagery. And I think that Johnny Christmas put that to the uh, comic form really well, in my opinion. And I, I love that Dark Horse and Fox were willing to do this. I want to see it again with Vincent Ward's. I, Vincent Ward's script has never been released, right? Was that ever complete? Really? Like, yeah. I didn't see it in our download section. Yeah. Okay, where? Because I now I want it. Okay, so we we go to the homepage. <laughs> Controversial. <laughs> we go to the site. Tab. I'm looking at all the Alien Three scripts right now. We have David Tui's. We have John Fasano's. Okay, so, um, so John John Fasano is the um, is the Ward script. Oh, okay. So story 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 by Vincent Ward and John Fasano. Okay, so Faz Fasano did the the screenplay. Ward did the story. Yeah, so that's just the first draft that we've got available. I'm pretty sure they did a few, but we've only got number one. So I would, yeah, I would like to see David Toy's Alien Three script. I would like to see that one. I would like to see if it's never going to be made. I would like to see Neil Blomkamp's in like an animated film or this. I I really like that Fox and Dark Horse have been willing to do this, and I want to see more of this. So my nitpicks and problems with this comic aside. I'm very glad that it's happened. Uh, I think it's it's a decent comic, and it'll certainly be interesting with the the recent announcement, Aaron, of the audio drama. There's I'm been a lot of so looking forward to that. I really am. I love the audio dramas, full stop. But I was not expecting an adaptation of this. And even better is because it is an adaptation of this. You get fucking Michael Bean and uh, Lance Hendrickson back. How fucking awesome is that? I was yeah, shocked when I great. heard that. That's going to be crazy. I do I do have a question, though. 
A, I would also be um, pretty interested in seeing Eric Red's, you know, ridiculous script done in comic form as well. I want to see what the... Uh, Which even he didn't like. Yeah, but I, w- I want to see this... The Xenomorph space station visualized. Which which <laughs> script was that from? It's the one with the fucking chicken aliens and the zero gravity. Dude, dude, ju- just pick up some Warhammer forty k well, stuff and the Tyranids. It's Tyranid stuff would look exactly like that, basically. Man, there Tyranid were so many five ships. There were so many Alien three scripts. Damn. Yes, yes, they was. You know what they should also do is AVPR's first draft. That would make for a good cover. <laughs> that would be very crazy no. with the predalien just doing a cameo my, my next question was going to be do you do you want faithful adaptations of those scripts as written such as is the case here obviously you guys aren't too familiar with, with just how authentic they are or would you like them to fix the draft no I'd, I'd rather they be faithful warts and all yeah exactly because even if it didn't happen maybe it shows us why it didn't happen it's just it's like an interesting look maybe something would they thought wouldn't have gone over well with fans because maybe it wouldn't have but that's that's part of the intrigue of of these unused stories i think so do you think there would still be buyer interest there for people to see these things visualized that might not necessarily have been something they'd enjoy do you think that people would actually be willing to do pay for that that's the question isn't it like if this interest goes beyond just the hardcore fans like us wanting to see this stuff or if it's has like mass appeal i think that the audio drama is is going to further test that personally and with the star power that it has like you said it might be successful and i'm kind of curious to see if there's going to be some sort of introduction with the audio drama that will be like this is not a used story here's the history behind this story or if it'll just like go right into it because it might be confusing for some people who are not as well versed in this stuff as we are like wait this is an alien three like so i would assume they'll have some kind of intro oh you know a blurb on the back or on the yeah. page. I have a different opinion to this. Okay. Sure. I would say my personal preference, because especially something like this where there are some messy, confusing aspects to it. Part of me says, yeah, I like to have a an adaptation of the original material for you know the sake of historical interest. But if I you know money was no object. I would say I would like, probably with the exception of Eric Red, because he doesn't like it, but if you got the original writer to do another draft of it, if the script needs it, I would be interested in them doing that. Because I, as you said earlier, I think this one could have really benefited from that. And if it would have cleared up some of the messier aspects, that would have probably made from, you know, just a more entertaining read. So yeah, if there's, if there's a way of do if that is an option, I would actually prefer the original writer to do that. The the problem comes in, it becomes a gamble if you get someone who comes in and script doctors it, you know, he'll does another draft, but they aren't the original writer, at which point is it's a gamble as to whether the version you get is necessarily any better. But if if you could get the original writer of some of these, like for instance, Peter Briggs. Although his original one was pretty much an adaptation of the existing comic, he says that his he, the drafts he did that which were never released to the public, they were really different. I would be interested in those. And I'm sure if Fox were to hire him and they say, here's some money, he would be open to 
doing yet another draft if the last draft wasn't, you know, as good as it could be. And we could have got maybe an adaptation of that. That would be interesting. But if these things are not in a, you know, a, a, a if you were to make a film of it and you take a look at the script and you say that's not polished up enough, I would like that to happen. I would have liked Gibson. I'd have liked if they could have rehired him and said, we would like you to do another draft of this and we would like to make a comic adaptation out of that. He would have probably polished, polished it up. He would have probably threaded the various things together more cohesively. But yeah, if the if the option is there to get the original writer to do another stab at the same script with the understanding it will be turned into a comic that would be my preference the problem does come in some of the scripts that are not legible <laughs> um so to speak and they would just be you know you'd just be making visuals out of a mess but um if you can get the original writer like here's another one if you got get joss whedon to get his original version of alien resurrection which didn't feature ripley it featured new now, I've mentioned several times. That was only a treatment, though, so that would be a lot more work. Uh, yeah, I'm well, even so, I'd be interested. Yeah. yeah. And I'm I'm sure he, because he's done comic work, and if he hasn't, he's got a brother who who's done some Terminator comics. They're, they're really used to doing comic work, so I don't think they would object if someone gave them the money, but that would be something. But I would be interested in it only if you got him or maybe his brother to do it, because then they would know the original intent of the story. And I think that would be fair. If you would be forced to get another writer to do it, then no. But if you can get the original writer to do it and do polish it up, yeah, I think that would actually be my preference rather than just recycling old stuff with visuals. But as I say, that has definitely got historical value. And although I don't, I found, did find this a bit of a mess in terms of logic, I am, as Richard Helps says, I'm really glad that Fox took a chance on this. And it's, um, it's going to be the, one of those things that's going to find itself on a lot of bookshelves. Ultramorph, are we a fan of the adaptation or would we prefer the fixing? I, I'm more just a fan of adaptation. I mean, I was, I was a history major in college, so I'm, I'm kind of into this, the, the purity of the sources. And I, I think stories can be fun sometimes, even if they're a mess. I'll, I'll have to read that script with the, with the alien space station. I think, I think there's more value there to just reading a, sometimes just an interesting mess and seeing what, you know, potentially could have been. I mean, I see the point about cleaning it up. That that could be cool to make a story readable, but I, I would much rather read uh, an interesting mess. I'm not saying that this was a mess. I, 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 there are obvious flaws uh, in the story. Oh, no, this this was, yeah, this was not a mess. I'm just referring to some of the other more messy. <coughs> no, this, 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 yeah. was a, this was a, a coherent enough story other than, I, I think, a couple of things that kind of get dropped halfway through. But yeah, no, I mean, if, if you gave me a comic that was alien space stations and chicken aliens, I, I would be down for just the, the wild ride. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, this isn't a mess. This is rough around the edges. And that's why I say this needs like a polish, and I I think it could have been done. But it's yeah, you get others that are literally a mess. That's different. But I think this could have benefited from a polish, definitely. Fair enough. We we mentioned the appeal of Hicks and Bishop in the audio drama that's coming out, but I wanted to bring up specifically how much I like the likeness in this one. I think Johnny did a great job in terms of of Lance's likeness, especially and Hicks's likeness. I really like that. Yeah. Oh, I love the hair. The crazy hair. I thought that was uh I thought that was pretty, pretty <laughs> yeah. smart. Ripley 
not as accurate, but yeah, the Bishop and Hicks, yeah, they they were well done. I thought. What about you, Pear? No, I thought the likeness was spot on. Yeah, no, I did mention that when we were interviewing Johnny. The the likeness really, really spot on for both of those guys as well. It's interesting that Ripley is not really a part of this too much. She's just kind of sent off into space. I, I don't think they could do her likeness with Sigourney and everything involved with that. Oh, um, yeah. She has to give her permission, doesn't yeah, she? Yeah, and it's funny that she's now off in a escape pod floating in space again because I don't think the, the ship picked her up at the end of the story. <laughs> true, very true. Okay, so, so, so going on to character looking, character likenesses, um, just character art in general, a complaint that I've seen about the series is that it's hard to keep track of who's who. Um, Ultramuff, specifically since you have absolutely no frame of reference to who the characters are outside of this series, did you find you had that issue while reading this? I did. I mean, I, I've read it twice. Uh, the first time I was reading through, I had a very hard time keeping track of all the characters. It's a little bit easier on the second uh, the second go through. But yeah, there's, I mean, I, it sounds like a stupid complaint, but there were, I think, a, a couple too many characters in this story. There's the, the xenobiologists, the, the two company suits, the UPP, the random grunts on, uh, on the space station. And yeah, it, it gets to be a little much, uh, a little much sometimes. Did you find that a story flaw or was that an art flaw? I would say it's a story flaw that's kind of accentuated by maybe an art flaw. I mean, he does a fantastic job drawing, like you guys were saying, New and Hicks and especially Bishop, that everyone else who is not a recognizable face, it's kind of like, who is this again? So yeah, I mean, it's that that was kind of a disconnect with the story. When I was looking at characters I knew versus, you know, sort of original characters in the scripts, it, it definitely felt it was it was a little confusing at times. Uh, what about you, Rich? No, I, I'm pretty much in, in agreement with you, Michael. It, the characters are a bit hard to keep track of, except for the main few characters. And it was a very large group of characters. I mean, it was like you were saying, it was easier because I had read the screenplay. So I had more of an idea of who was who. But yeah, I mean, after after a couple read throughs of the comic, it's it's kind of more easy to keep track of. But there's there's a lot of, I guess, throwaway characters in this story that are just kind of there for a few moments here and there where they have some lines. But honestly, I guess that's kind of like any movie. Right. But it did it did feel a bit like there were a lot of people to keep track of here. I agree. I did find it difficult to keep it. There were some panels I thought it was Hicks speaking, and then I went back and went, oh, no, it's not him. It's somebody else. Um, Some characters are very, they have a very iconic look, like the guy who looks like Lenin. Um, You have, I think she's from Wayland Utani, a blonde with, you know, the bangs, and she's very obvious you're not going to mistake her from anyone else some of the other characters they are sort of very copy paste i did think what might confuse some people it's not necessarily very obvious that action is taking place on two completely different space stations because you have this meeting where the characters are all together and they're talking about the political stuff and at that point you think to yourself is it all happening in one place which is not helped by i know this was covered on the previous podcast where 
I think during Christmas he said he was forced to make the shuttle interceptor thing look just like a dropship. It's like depicting the Soviet Union using F-15s. It, 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 that can fool some people into thinking, wait, are they colonial marines or are they saying they're this, but they're actually using colonial marine stuff? What's the relationship there? I would have liked to have seen that defiant-like alternative spaceship design for that. So yeah, I think there will be some difficulty with people differentiating between not just different characters, but because you've got these two different narratives. And one is, I guess, like the United States and Weyland-Yutani and that. And the other is this union of progressive peoples, which aren't really explored that much aside from them just being in competition with one another. You know, who are the, what, what do they Five, are they literally just space communists or what we that's never explained before we go down the upp discussion route to your point about flitting between the stations he does pretty much always label which station we're on yeah it's one of those you know if you, you, you're not taking your time to read it i can see how some readers could get lost Take your bloody time but i do completely agree on the shuttle the interceptor point because i think that was a bad note to start on the series on because didn't johnny say that that was mandated by fox johnny said i'm not blaming him but it is it is an issue with the series it's fox's fault why would they mandate that did he say why no i I think he just said that it was just you know miss a command from up above and he had to do it but i I would have liked to have seen his alternative yeah i mean it should not have been a dropship because a like you say that's something that's just you know you associate with the colonial marines exactly yeah and b it's a fucking dropship it's not a fucking interstellar space shuttle (laughs) no that's what came to my mind it just they're landing on the side which doesn't open fire on them at all it just lets them land and Get yeah, and that, workings, that was, was odd. that was so strange to me. Honestly, I mean, I guess that it wasn't really a navigation malfunction. It was like they allude to later. It was an order from Gateway to send it to Anchor Point. But I mean, really, is space as big as it is? The the UPP is going to be on that, and like right after that happens. I mean, I guess we don't know how much longer has passed, but. And you'd based on the have flow of the story but anyway in if space it, though i mean yeah, well, you'd, you'd have some sort of border patrol if that's that big of a fucking deal i don't know if that's possible to border patrol space man but maybe i don't know i, I assume they they probably tracked the salico and they arranged an interception when it got to a certain because they they know the trajectory so they'd be able yeah but it would have to be launched from somewhere so they probably had a ship nearby i'm being a dick but But as well on on the point of the design work i suppose i also had an issue with them using oozes the upp using oozes when they were on the radina and all the hell was breaking oh yeah um because the script says an uzi like weapon and i i found that a little lazy to my uh, to my taste same as like what they did with Covenant and the fucking AUGs and the um, 
the M4 yeah. where they didn't you know the pulse rifle is so iconic yes it's based on a, a Thompson but it's it's very well furnished and you know it doesn't look like it's a bloody Thompson so yeah I have a problem with thinly disguising existing weapons for um, for this kind of thing so that was a little bit of a bugbear for me was the oozes maybe you guys weren't as anal about it yeah I did like the fact that they put um, on those suits they put the guns on the forearms it, it's that was a nice practical addition weapons wise any thoughts on on weaponry ridge top i did kind of think that hicks's arm cannon reminded me of dutch's from that avp capcom arcade <laughs> but i know that's a bit of a stretch i don't know how many people will pick up yeah, on that, I mean, that was uh, basically the one sort of original thing they do as far as upp tech in the story so yeah i thought i thought that was fun i, I didn't notice the uzis on uh, on rodina to go back and look at that but uh yeah i was uh massively disappointed by that drop ship <laughs> and i really do hope we get to see the you know the defiant like version of it just just out of pure curiosity more than anything as well what another drop ship no what he was on about with the interceptor design oh yeah yeah I, I, with that said it was a very nicely depicted drop ship so kudos to the guy for actually you know making it look like a drop ship it's just that yeah story-wise it, it it was as i say it's like depicting soviet russia using f-15s it was a bit it's it's too closely related to the colonial marines yeah, I thought you were just asking about the weaponry in, in general. And, and like you were saying, Michael, that was the most distinct new weapon I thought was the arm cannon that Higgs had. But yeah, the dropship thing didn't work. They should have had their own unique interceptor for sure, just to avoid confusion. I mean, and going on to the UPP then, you know, we, we've tangented a few times in regards to them. Um, and again, I'm going to go again to you, Ultramorph, since you have no basis for this as a, as a, as an, antagonist how did you feel about them in you know in in this story i mean it's it's tough i i mean i i don't really i don't find them overly compelling as an antagonist um nor if i if we look at it from sort of just just a temporal point of view i don't think even if this had come out in you know 1991 or 1992 they would have been a great antagonist the script, to be fair, though, just for just for clarity's sake, this particular draft that this is based on was January of eighty-eight. The version okay. before was eighty-seven. Okay, so that that changes it slightly. But I mean, I thought the UPP in this story had potential to be interesting. I actually do really like the scene. Um, I think it's an issue too where they're all sitting together talking about the alien and like what their plan is. You know, we're going to release Bishop to them so that they have no choice but to acknowledge that they have our man Kurtz. I mean, that, that stuff was interesting. Um, and the scene where the UPP representative and Rossetti are going back and forth, um, you know, and, and Rossetti's like, never heard of, uh, you know, all the stuff with the treaty violations. It's interesting. I just think that one failing of this script is that it's supposed to be this huge deal that Wayland yutani is so desperate to get the sample of the alien that they're willing to risk this diplomatic escalation. Um, and then it kind of just doesn't go anywhere. You know, the space communists get killed by the aliens, too. And they show up at the end, obviously, when they when they rescue the heroes. I thought more could have been done with that. That being said, I think the UPP, if they're ever used again in anything, have a lot of potential to be something uh, very interesting. Obviously, from the movies and also the the novels, things like uh, Cold Forge. I mean, we have a very good sense of what sort of Western corporatism in, in this alien future uh, but how does something like communism or socialism look in this sort of 22nd century? I would love to see something more with that. So I, I hope they 
maybe they'll do a sequel to this uh, or something along those lines. But I, I think the seeds are there for something really cool. Quick speed quiz. What else have the UPP appeared in? Uh, Alien Infestation on Game Boy. Yes, there we go. Damn. <laughs> would, you, would you have got that? No, I would not have. Oh, wait. No, no, no. You're right. You're right. It wasn't the Colonial Marines on DS. No, it was. It oh, was. that's right. That's what that was. Yeah. Yeah. Because it started as Aliens Colonial Marines. Yeah, it was supposed DS. to be a companion piece. Yeah, I remember now, but I wouldn't have got that that quick. <laughs> anyway, sorry, I just, I just wanted to ask. Risto, what, what did you feel of the UPP then? Do, do they work for you as a, you know, another faction? Kind of. I mean, I always... I don't know. That's that's one of the things that hasn't really been elaborated on in the Alien franchise, right? Is there governments out in space that are beyond just Earth governments? You were saying that you think the Colonial Marines' presence would mean that there have to be, but potentially not. I mean, they have the bug stomper imagery. Maybe they're just there to protect colonists from like indigenous life forms or... If there's no. a, if there's like a colonial <laughs> uprising, but um, yeah. So so to have this big communist government in space, it makes me like, how many planets do they control? Was there a war? Like it's it brings up all these questions. And I think if it would have worked or not, would would come down to how it was depicted. If you, if they all had like Russian accents, it would be super silly. But but they looked multicultural in in the the comics. So. I don't know. It's it's an interesting concept, but like I said, I think it's I think it's a bit dated. But communism's still a thing. Yeah, but you got invented I mean, okay, Venezuela, yeah, North Korea. That's, that's gonna start Cuba, a whole big discussion. But China. But I mean, even communist countries like China are are hugely compared to like the old communism of the Soviet Union. Like, if we're talking like a strictly communist gigantic space force like i just yeah it, it doesn't seem realistic to me so i mean it's an interesting concept just for a story sake but i i wouldn't really want it depicted in the franchise beyond this comic or that game boy game to be honest xenomorphin what's your, your take on the upp then yay nay there is I, I will say i did notice there was a reference to military Hostet. They one character refers to them um, seeing something they did during what's called the Three Day War. So obviously there has been something going on, and they refer to treaties that prevent them going into nuclear war. So clearly it's based on NATO and Soviet Union. In fairness, we in Aliens we're never really shown, you know, explained what the Colonial Marines are. But you do have the early on when Burke. And Gorman go to visit Ripley. They say, you know, the the United States colonial or U.S. colonial marines. So you understand, right? That's the U.S. government of that time. Here, you're not even given an explanation of which countries these are meant to represent. They just go by the name of progressive peoples. So you have that that aspect to the missing, which wouldn't ordinarily matter, except that, as Mikey said earlier on, you do have this nice sort of pseudo hunt for Red October type political scene in it, which actually I did like. But without understanding anything about them, vague sort of absence to their so their impact doesn't have much meaning in it, which I think kind of needs it if you're going to bring in this, you know, these two or hyper powers are against one another. But if they, if we've got go by just names, then you don't have that gravitas behind what the potential conflict could be. But, you know, as a generic enemy or whatever they're meant to be, maybe they're a, like a, a confederation of 
different colonies that got together that have found big technology. Who knows? Yeah, they work as a faction that would be like the anti-colonial marines, I guess. It would have been nice if we'd seen more of an insight into the, you know, the soldiers that start that board the Sulaco. You do see them on turf and they're sort of, I think a couple of them are having sex or something, but at that point they're sort of interchangeable with the colonial marines we know. It would have been nice if we'd had something about some sort of cultural difference there to personify them more the up itself yeah make them itself a character like for instance in going back to again that that film the star trek film where you had the klingons and the united federation of whatever they stood for the soviet versus u.s but sir yeah okay i'm not a walker or a trekker (laughs) but with but with that (laughs) you understand what the klingons are you, you already know that going into it. If you'd gone into it and they weren't the Klingons, they were just called, you know, the, the empire of blah, blah, blah. And you, you didn't have any pre-existing notion of what their faction is. That's what we've got here. So I think something would have helped. But as a, an opposing faction that could also be wanting to weaponize the alien, yeah, they... they it does what it says on the tin, but unfortunately it doesn't go further than that. And if it had done, it would have been nice. But as I said, I did like, as was said, that Hunt for Red October type political dealing scene. But yeah, it is what it is. It's a generic opposing faction. I think more could be done with them. But w- would you be open to more? Would you, would you would you be happy to see them show up at other points? Yeah, like explore. I I mean, I think I used to say. Isn't it weird that in the comics we haven't really seen much mention of Wayland Utani? And it was always like Grant or Bionational or something. Yeah. yeah. And we always had every company except for them. And even in AVP, it was Chigusu or something. Yeah, the Chigusa Corp. Yeah. And I, I like that. And I, I think it would be interesting to see those be referenced again, maybe, because it brings more life. Is it perhaps too much following the same vein, though? You know, it's all corporationalist. And, but I, I like the idea of the UPP as a political entity because it's different from mm. it just being fucking megacorps ruling, ruling yeah, the yeah, space that, world. Yeah, that too. I, I was having that comical dig at stuff when he said, oh, they're, they're there to be wildlife management because I do have a thing about you're not going to call the military out to do that. that they're separate. That's it's a it's a governmental entity. Why you don't own? Well, why why would they be, why would they be saying like, well, is this another bug hunt? Then obviously they do some of I that. I can that's a go whole other question about yeah, military. That's a whole other agenda. debate. You you can go into that being a euphemism for you know they're they're bitching in the mess hall about ninety percent of the missions they go on. They're they're rigged up to do combat, but it turns out they're just hunting for you know technical bugs. It could be anything like that, but. The point, yes, I would like to see more. It's not just Wayland Utanian control. They have, they and have in fact, the bug stomper imagery on their dropship. I know. Like, that's, that's what I'm saying. It could be a, something. It could be a, a self-deprecating humor thing because that's how they are. They take the piss out of themselves. It might be something they do anyway. It might not necessarily be all they do. It might be, but anyway, we're we're going off on a tangent. <laughs> yeah, I would like that to be because we are now getting a lot of the media is coming out Wayland yutani is the only thing that's there and yet it's meant to be a capitalist economy 
and capitalism thrives on competition. So I would like to see, like we uh, did in isolation, no, we got I mean, you see, you see multiple monopolies in capitalism, and I think that's yeah, what the whole commentary but, but of Whaling Yutani plays on, is that it's pretty yeah, much that, taken that over point, the whole system. But at that point, it's no longer capitalism. It's starting to get into this centralized thing where they own literally every that's what right. i didn't like being it's, in it's, the recent tri trilogy of novels you had that vickers alike character and she was going on this rant this other character saying oh and if you get to this oh but yeah oh, oh who owns the police oh in the police and it just maybe go oh for fuck's sake it's not realistic well that you're shows gonna that, need that to shows have that, diversity that shows that in the story as well when hicks is asking for a debrief the the lady comes in who's with the bioweapons division and she's just yeah, and like, i didn't like that she's like oh yeah we actually cleared it you know whaling yutani pretty much yeah that's something i didn't like about this story so it, he should have been debriefed by colonial marines rep or something like yeah, that. yeah but that's the thing it alluded to them being in somehow in control or in uh massively influential over the the military because she had pretty yeah, much told him yeah like, with would your, you let me let me finish okay, my point here she was okay. just telling him, yeah, you, you can't mention anything that I've said to your military superiors, which kind of goes against the whole feeling of aliens because Burke was all nervous, like, oh, I have to do this hidden and stuff. Yeah, exactly. Whereas she was like, well, you know, no, we're just in charge of all of it. So yeah, that's why I say it contradicts that APC scene where you have Ripley tell Burke, you've got no jurisdiction because this has suddenly gone into military jurisdiction. You've got no influence whatsoever. Right. And he backed down at that point. But it, think, it would I be think... the equivalent of today Lockheed or Boeing telling the US Marine Corps what they can and can't do. It's not going to happen. It's very comic-like. I can see it happening in a cartoon because that's cartoon logic. But in the real world, they have their limits. And I think well, I would they... like to see that reflected in the alien verse. Again, that's a bigger real world conversation in, in terms of like the kind of influence companies like Lockheed and Boeing have over the government. But still, I do find yeah, they're not going to be in control of them. as much. No, they won't be in control, but they'll have yeah. their, their back channels and stuff. Yeah, and yeah, I do yeah. think regardless of any of the other companies we've seen in the comics like Ching USA or Chingusa or whatever uh, with AVP or some of the other players we've seen like Siegson. Weyland Yutani has always been the most major player that just dominates all of them. Like, only, only really the films though, and the games to an extent, because like like Xenomorphin was saying, you know, the, the comics have always skirted around it, but lately there's been this whole monopoly of the, yeah. them. Yeah, I mean, so. like they have control of a, a lot of products and patents, but who are they in competition with? Like, if they're Microsoft, who's Apple? They, you're gonna. I would like to see some. I uh, like Siegson you, because then that opens it up into fresh territory. Like, who are these other companies? Maybe these other companies have got agendas that are just as chilling as Wayland Utani's, if not maybe more so. We got I agree. the USM I think, I think... replacing the Marines in Alien Resurrection, but they were just more inept. I'd, I'd just like to see more options out there. And I, I think I the agree. UPP think... could be a valuable way to explore that. I think it's interesting to see other corporate factions like Sikhsin and, and Chingusa as well. I'm not saying it should exclusively be Whalen Utani. I'm just saying it's interesting having them be the the most major player, like the 800-pound gorilla in the corporate space in Alien, Yeah, personally. Yeah.
I kind of way. <laughs> and we, got into, we got into a discussion about <laughs> capitalism and communism and the realistic uh, depictions of it in the future. But I have a huge soft spot for the UPP anyway, because I, you know, I have a huge soft spot for for Gibson stuff or this script. And um, so I, I quite liked them showing up in Infestation. That was always something that I was like, <gasps> these guys read the scripts. It always impresses me when you know because for a long time it. The UPP would have been a very um, sort of niche thing to know about in in the community, in the fandom, because I don't think script reading tends to be something a lot of people are massively interested in. So to see it in a more accessible format, because comics are definitely more accessible than reading the scripts, is cool. And I do totally agree, you know, they aren't massively developed outside of the obvious anti you know, anti-capitalist, anti-corporatist um, kind of thing. So I'd definitely be interested in seeing a bit more about that culture. You know, there, there was there was a moment I liked, which was where the main UPP lady, whose name currently escapes me at the minute, was wandering through, like, the deck through for the station, and you had, like, the murals up on, on the walls. I liked that. I, um, I thought that was a nice little, nice little touch in terms of, you know, that kind of cultural thing. So that was cool. I, I would definitely be up for seeing them, and I definitely like that it's a change of pace from, you know, from it just being different companies competing with each other, uh, as much as I do actually like Seeks and, and that they're actually having a bit more of a consistent adversary, you know, in, in the Expanded Universe at the minute. So, yeah, give me more UPP, give me some development on them, and, and I'm a happy bunny. Well, what did you think about the ending there, where it's like... Oh, we should be united against a common oh, it enemy. It's kind of like a sequel bait kind of thing. <laughs> that did where, feel where very Bishop comic just book-ish. explains the lesson of the story to everyone. Yeah. Yeah, it was a little too on the nose. This was actually intended to be part one of two. So you know, yeah, was... and I will I will say at that t- I forget what year it was, but you mentioned this was done 88, 87, 88, and that that might I I've got no idea, but this is just me because at the point I read this, I thought, oh, I wonder this might have been Gibson being influenced by. There was a specific speech Reagan did in the eighties where he said, I think it was at the United Nations where he he said, and what if we were to face an invader from outer space or some, some something would we not toss aside our differences and it was a very famous speech he did so i wouldn't be surprised if that was alluding to that reagan speech but if it was it you know it doesn't age well to 2019 where hardly anyone is you know going to remember that speech but it wouldn't surprise me if that was what it was meant to be rather than a sort of, you know, a public service announcement Thundercat style of let's put all our different, hey kids, we're going to fight the aliens together because, yeah, that does come across a bit. Don't say that to me. Don't say that you're a cartoon character. <laughs> Going off that ending though, and this being the first of what was intended to be two entries, would you guys be interested in seeing this particular? You know, this Gibson verse continuity continued and um, delved into, you know, do you want to see them find the source? Honestly, no. I I like the fact that we got this story and it's interesting to see what could have been, but it, it didn't enthrall me enough or intrigue me enough to really want me to see more. It's like, I'm glad they did this. It's It's an interesting story for what it is. There's some good artwork here, but in terms of like Gibson's vision, no, it's I'm not on board with it xenomorphin yay nay i think there would be too much danger of it 
doing a retread of um, Female War, which essentially, you know, went to the planet of the aliens sort of thing. I would be more, if they're going to do that, I would be more interested in them doing a, a sequel to 2010 AVP game, which essentially ended on the similar note, except with Predator thrown into it. But I can't say no, because it would be a completely fresh new story. It would essentially be, are you interested in Hicks and Bishop? with apparently a lady who's going to imminently die from radiation poisoning, going off to fight the alien war, I guess. I, I don't think that would be... It would, It feels a little bit G.I. Joe, Saturday morning cartoon type thing, a Operation Aliens, as it was going to be, I suppose. Um, them two on their own, no, but if they were somehow going to link with the others somehow, make it a bigger, more epic in scale thing, maybe. But my heart says no. It's it, I like to see this as a historical what-if sort of thing. That particular ending, it smacks too much of a Saturday morning cartoon feel. <laughs> okay. Uh, Ultramorph, I'm going to assume you're going to be along the same lines. Yeah, I mean, I, I would I would say that I would be interested in, in them taking it in, in a new direction. But honestly, because of so much of, you know, what was in this this script kind of comes back around to what we got in, you know, Alien and uh, uh, Alien Covenant. I feel like the angle they were taking the alien as, you know, the infection pathogen, that kind of thing. We've already had two movies where they do that. So I, I don't necessarily know that I, I would be down for, you know, Bishop and Hicks go to, you know, this universe's equivalent of LV-223. I, I don't know if there's anything there to explore at this point. Okay, that, that's fair. I mean, personally, I'd rather they continue with doing the adaptations. Uh, I do hope we get more i'd rather see them yeah. uh, you know put effort to that but if we were to get something i don't think i'd, I'd stick my nose up at it i mean oh, that's I the would thing would gibson sure. would, would gibson be willing to do a sequel at this point i don't know if he would and uh, like you said i think seeing the other scripts would continuing this thing of seeing those unused concepts like vincent ward's script like david tui's script like peter briggs script for avp like that that's the stuff i want to see continue I don't think it'd be an either or thing. I think, you know, they could, Dark Horse can do both. I think that would change my, if it would be a William Gibson pen thing, because that would just make it, that would just make me curious about where he would have taken it. See, I was assuming like, you know, if they got new writers in, it would be a blank page. They could go off. I don't think they use the viral alien thing again, because that was very specific to this situation. Yeah. If, if they got Gibson to do a sequel himself, I'd, I would be more curious if that were to happen. Okay, so I actually want to go back just a little bit because I've took us actually towards a, a wrap-up when I probably shouldn't have because we forgot to talk about something that I, I wanted to ask you about and I just have a nitpick. But my nitpick is that with it losing not only the the scene that I mentioned earlier with Halliday and Hicks sort of getting to know each other and explaining a bit about the background of, of Anchor Point, the art also didn't depict... Anchor point like it is in the script where it's supposed to be this rundown, defunct, never finished space station, which it sort of alludes to a little bit in the dialogue, but in terms of you know Rosetti being like Sevastopol, basically. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, I suppose. But that that was always a little bit of world building that I liked about this, the idea of an incomplete station out there. So I missed that. I I missed that. Um, I don't I don't know if any of you really gave a shit about that. If you didn't, so even. you were saying the station looked a bit more like under construction in yeah. the screenplay. Yeah, 
I mean, that that was specific to this second version. It wasn't like that in the first. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if I liked the, the depiction of the space station too much because it just looked like this big spinning top almost like that, almost like that Star Trek space station. You know, Aaron knows what I'm talking about. Yeah, Starbase One. Yeah. So yeah, it didn't quite have an aliens station look about it. It just, it was kind of like just, too smooth and like you were saying too completed like i would have liked it to have had more of a sevastopol look maybe not exactly like that but just more of like this big city floating in space kind of thing was it described as disused or still being constructed though i believe it was still being constructed let me scroll okay so that would make it like death star 2 type feel yeah yeah with with all the you know the the scaffolding yeah i mean that could have been interesting in terms of you know the aliens having all these nooks and crannies and stuff that are incomplete to hide i think they could have used that plot device style but obviously if you're trying to make a faithful adaptation you have to go by exactly what was already in the script but yeah i think that that could have made it more visually interesting because um like as a cgi artist we're, we're often told like put if if you're making a spaceship, don't just make it a smooth surface. If you can, put what are called like greebles and nernies on bit, which is what was done in the original with the Nostromo, where they put little pipes and they just stuck loads of model kit stuff all over it. Yeah, and it it makes it interesting to look at. Well, non-kit bash stuff loses that kind of texturing, doesn't it? Yeah, so I I think, yeah, visually, that could have been um, interesting to look at, I agree. So here's here's the description as it's first introduced. There's something slightly off here, an unfinished look, disarray, unused construction material float in a jack straw cloud above the station surface, few lights, no signs of activity, and then push into Jackson going to get Tully. Hmm, like a ship in dry dock style feel, yeah. I mean, it's not massive to the story, but it's just a bit of world building that I always liked about this particular draft that I missed in the comic. That that was all. Yeah, I, I agree. Liked, that even, could have been interesting. Yeah, I, I would have liked given a few more lines of dialogue about what the purpose of the station was and its its history. Because yeah, I, I felt like it was a missed opportunity. They they say early on, you know, this isn't a military installation. It's like, well, what what are you what are you guys doing out here then? I mean, there was there was definitely some uh, some opportunity to to build that up a little. Yeah, I remember being intrigued by that bit. It's a dialogue. Now you bring it up. Yeah, I, I did have the same reaction there. Yeah. It was all supposed to be built around that eco module. It was supposed to be all in, in terms of, you know, that's why you had the, the not Tully, what's her name? I have no clue what that character's name is. Spence. I don't even know if character gets names. Oh, yeah, yeah, Spence. Everybody gets names. Um, So Spence, you know, she was a, an ecolo- um, ecologist. So it was all around sort of like that project. I did actually like the design. Now, I, I get Ridgetop's complaint, but I did actually quite like it. I would have liked to have seen the Sulaco, you know, in orbit of it during some of the establishing panels. But no, I, I dug it. I thought it, it was interesting. And I quite liked the Redina as well. That was very different. And I quite liked that. Was it pointed out why? Because I, I could, I, if it was explained, I missed it. I looked for it. I couldn't find it. Why did they get that big? Because the alien was hiding inside this big cuboid block of metal from the Sulaco. And they took that out of there and they brought it aboard the state. Why did they do that? I can't, I didn't pick up on that. The idea was that, you know, when the UPP crew shit their pants and shot everything up 
it was supposed to be related to some damage they'd caused. So they, rather than try and fix the cooling unit, they yanked it out and put a new one in. Oh, okay. It looked massive for just a cooling unit. <laughs> and by fortune, the alien was just in that exact one piece. But visually, I think that was cool. And I imagine that would have looked pretty fucking sweet on screen. You know, very sort of uh, alien in the Narcissus kind of moment, which would have been uh, interesting. Okay, so, question I wanted to ask you guys that I completely skipped over when we were talking the aliens was the confrontation between uh, the OG alien and the new beast. It ended pretty fucking quick. Yeah, I was gonna, that's exactly what I was gonna say. It was quick. That's how it is in the script. So, you know, this is an inherited um, trait, um, you know, DNA reflex. Another thing that Covenant probably took, I imagine. Yeah, well, the, the, the fight that was supposed to happen would have gone pretty quick like that, I think, if I Just as right. quick, yeah. I, I think it was, yeah, literally, he just, the alien in, in Covenant just was supposed to just rip the Neomorph in half after, like, mm. a short tussle. So it was, yeah, basically exactly that. Which happens here. Yeah. So, was it satisfying? No. <laughs> it's yeah. just like they go, one yeah. looks at the other and the other one goes hiss and they go rah and they tear it in half and that's it. The tra- <laughs> traditional alien one, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah but there's, it's, that's it. That's the part. It's them saying, we've got a new alien, but we acknowledge it's not as good as the old one. So here's the old one to finish up the story. Hey, at least props for the, the bigger batter not winning like, like it usually does in these things. Yeah. But it was just over so quick. This pre-climax. Yeah, I, I do agree. Oh. I, do, I do agree. I would have liked to, and I would have had the same problem with with Covenant if they'd have filmed that that sequence. It's interesting to see, but I don't know. It feels a little cop out ish having it be so short. But then again, I suppose when this was being filmed, maybe it was limitations about you know these two creatures fucking railing on each other and being able to film it convincingly. It could have. I mean, if it wasn't for being a straight adaptation, even that could have been interesting if they were allowed to write more material because it literally ripped it in half. And I thought to myself, oh, that's going to release a ton of corrosive fluid, and they're in a space station. What that's what's that going to do? But it. They didn't really do anything with that, so it just felt... You actually, yeah, you, you just hit on a huge complaint I had, that th- this story did absolutely nothing with the alien blood, in, in exactly, even when it's splashing all over the place. That's that's a big nitpick for me, for just alien stories in general. Completely agree. Completely agree with that. Everybody forgets the acid and everybody forgets the tail. This didn't forget the tail, so that gets a win for me, because I'm pretty sure... Oh, fuck, now I forgot his name. Um, Someone got decapitated by a tail, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of the things I actually liked about this comic, too, is that it was very gory. Like it felt like that kind of 80s and 90s horror, just over the top gore. Although that said, I don't, one of my favorite death sequences, I suppose you could say in this is one of the high. I think it's the first ever kill it does where it's somebody's getting decontaminated and it's all in the steam and you don't actually see anything. But one of the characters has transformed into it yeah and it's just done in silhouette in the steam i could see that if that was filmed done under steam that would have looked really impressive Uh, speaking visually then would you say that was probably your favorite panel slash sequence from the series possibly i think it's my favorite death scene but i think as i said it as an adaptation the visuals um how it was adapted i think works really well it's just that i felt it was hampered by the script but yeah i'm sure there are other visual i've just forgotten that see what sticks in my mind are some of the more bizarre things like that 
semi-transformed koala bear creature that's just going from the tree that made me go what's happening there you never see it again it's it's like weird things stick in your mind but yeah i'll i'll probably go with the 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 decontaminations oh one thing i will say it wasn't as i imagined it might look when i remembered reading it in the original first draft of the script was the DNA was going to look like the biomechanical derelict shit and it did but not quite as I had it in my mind so that's the thing that looked different to how I'd imagined it but yeah aside from that I'd probably say that the shower decontamination scene was my one of my favorites certainly okay um what about you pair any particular favorite uh, panels or sequences visually that that you know they're going to be what you associate with this series I just really I, I liked the stuff in the greenhouse a lot. So I recently interviewed Kelsey Taylor, which uh, should be going up soon. She was the director of the Alien 40th Anniversary short Specimen, which took place in this like industrial greenhouse. And while this one was much more of kind of like a biodome kind of thing, I've always liked that kind of jungle environment of for the alien that we've seen in honestly very few instances like we saw it in some unused concept stuff for alien resurrection and we've seen it here but it's it's a thing that i think is a really interesting unique setting for the alien so to see it here i think was a highlight of of the comic for me ultramorph anything that sticks out yeah i mean i i really liked this the, um, I think his name is Tully, the other guy that gets infected by the spores. His his whole death sequence where they they find him in the uh, in the freezer, sort of halfway transformed, that definitely stuck out to me. So that that was definitely my favorite thing. Okay, I'm going to be boring and say the change um, because it was great to can see that visualized. I thought that was cool. It looked brutal. So yeah, that that's that's the the main panel sequence for me that, that sticks out oh sorry is it the transfer you know when the new beast births that's referred to from the the, the woman the yeah. bioweapons division yeah. woman yeah i thought that scene was really cool especially how she's like flipping out at them and it's right in the middle of her like outburst at them it just happens yeah yeah in in the script that's referred to as the change and the creatures referred to the, as the new beast so i pull a lot of my terminology from the script sorry yeah I, d- I did like how Newt was drawn in this, and she had. I did like her having one of the best lines, which was very Newt-like, where she um, Ripley is sleeping and she asks, I forget a technician or something, and she asks, "Is Ripley is is she dreaming?" And they say, "I don't know." And she says, "It's better if they if you don't." And that for that felt very like her. That's something Newt would definitely say, and it's just her expression there. I like that as well. And I loved her T-shirt, actually. She's wearing a T-shirt. Oh, yeah. Um, where where <laughs> exactly point. is Anchor Point? Where the hell is Anchor Point, yeah. I think that's mentioned in the script specifically, so that's a nice, cool sort of uh, the detail that is, is taking that. That was, that was funny. So I actually have one last point I want to bring up because it bugs the shit out of me. Again, this is a script issue. This particular draft, I can't remember if it's a, a bother in the first one because I don't read it as much as I read this one. And then if there's anything else you guys have got left that you specifically want to talk about, we can we can do that or we can then wrap up, uh, but we'll see. So my last issue is with the last uh, Wayland yutani weapons division guy, Fox, who flips the shit out when Walker, the the mechanic, tells him that they've pulled a the cooling unit in there and starts blowing everything up. My issue with that is he either 
assumes you know that there's there's an alien already in there or he's worried about the potential of an alien being in there and if he's worried about that then why the fuck does he send Newt on the same spaceship back home when they were specifically using Anchor Point as a you know their quarantine zone if shit went wrong it went wrong on Anchor Point not at home so that bothers me that sort of motivation of his flip out anybody else pick up on that or is that just me no i mean i i got whiplash reading that i was like what is what is even going on why is he suddenly trashing everything and trying to bail out of the station that's that's an extreme reaction yeah that was not a not a great character moment that was something i'd like to have seen cleaned up in the third a third draft because it's interesting that he being the bad guy, so to speak, because he works for, you know, Wayland Yutani, being that dedicated to the quarantine, I think that's cool. But it, it just doesn't work as is. Yeah, I agree. It was it was a little jarring. You're talking about the moment where, like, the engineer t- says that they brought in the chunk of the Sulaco into the station. He just kind of has this yeah. flip out there. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that was a bit yeah. odd. Destroys all the the um, escape pods and everything like that. See, this is what I meant. It could have benefited from another... I don't even know if it was possible, but it would have definitely benefited from another draft. Yeah, okay. Well, glad to know it wasn't just me. Do you guys have any particular elements you want to highlight and talk about? I think we pretty thoroughly covered it. I mean, I'd still, I'd still recommend it. I'm going to pick up the uh, the paperback version, and um, usually those have some extra making of bits inside them, so it'll be cool to see. Yeah, well, Johnny did say that um, they were going to be having the, you know, like the the alternative designs in there, so that'd be interesting to say. I really want to see what an alien Defiant will look like. Defiant's a Star Trek ship, in case anybody doesn't know what that's that's in reference to. Um, if you haven't already, you know, please do head back and listen to our last episode which is an interview with johnny he was the writer and line artist on this series um that was that was a fun interview i enjoyed that one so please go listen to that if you haven't ristops obviously gave sort of finalish thoughts there uh, i suppose um or do you want to expand a bit more yeah no it really for me it's just i'm glad that they did this it's cool to see and i'd like to see more just with other unused screenplays i have problems with the story but that those were the same problems i had with the script when we did uh, a podcast on that so that hasn't really changed but i think it was a faithful adaptation and most of the flaws that i think are are present for me here are just carryovers from from the script really okay and I'll ask you, just in case, and you guys, I'll also want to hear this as well. Do you recommend this series, Warts and All? Yeah, I would I would recommend it. I mean, I, I would say, obviously, to, I think, a lot of more casual fans, uh, Alien 3 is kind of a jumping off point for a lot of people. So I would definitely recommend this to somebody if they enjoyed the first two and, you know, maybe not the third so much. It's just a, a fun sort of what could have been. Um, so, yeah, I would definitely recommend that people check it out. It's a... Uh, you know, it's it's a fun little experiment, and I I want I want to go back and read that uh, Star Wars comic that Dark Horse did a few years ago after this because it's it's uh, it's cool to see what could have been. Xenomorphin. As I said, I think as an adaptation, it's very well done. But as in terms of taking it as a whole, I would recommend it to anyone who's interested in filmmaking as an alternative draft. I would recommend it based on historical reasons, but as you know, the journey itself it takes the reader on, I can't say I'd recommend it on that basis. That's why I'd say I'd have to give it two different, you know, review marks, as it were. But I'm glad it got done. But it does serve to sort of highlight that I feel, while I'm not a fan of what we got as Alien 3, 
it does sort of highlight that there wasn't really a any of the scripts that was wholly satis- satisfying. And I think that what we ultimately got was the better product at the end of the day, the the one on the prison world that, you know, with Ripley that Hicks and Newt get killed up. But yeah, I, I can't say I recommend it as a story because it doesn't feel fully formed. That is its problem. But as an adaptation, if someone is interested about how to adapt a script, definitely I would recommend it. Yeah, because they did a really good job on adapting the um, the source material. Although I'm still not sure you and Ridgetop can say that since you haven't read this particular draft. No, in terms of first draft, yeah. I do do echo it coming from a position of reading it. Of reading it, what fucking English is that? Of having read, you know, this particular second draft. It is very faithful to it, it really is. Some stuff stripped, but we've already talked about that. I also, I do agree with you, um, Xenomorphin. As As a complete package, it doesn't work because there's still issues with it. So if you were to recommend it on that basis, then uh, no, you wouldn't really score it as high. But for those who are interested in seeing this, you know, seeing the old scripts visualised, if they're interested in exploring the alternative possible Alien 3s, but they don't like reading scripts, then yes, again, this is a perfect chance to do that. We didn't really talk about the colouring in the end, but I I do hope that they try and stick with the same sort of creators that they've been using for the mainline series because i feel like those artists have been getting alien lately in the visual sense and i would like to see that sort of style continue even with these alternatives so yeah if you're into that if you're into all that stuff pick it up please um i want them to keep making more and this needs to succeed (laughs) for them to keep making more and i i think in general it probably has done but you know if you are just basing it on on a, on a story as a complete package, then yeah, it's, it's not there yet. But I'm glad they did it, and I want more. It'll be interesting to see if our thoughts of, on the story change at all with the with the audio drama as well. Mm, yeah, because I do I do think that Dirk would not do a straight adaptation. He hasn't he hasn't with any of the others. He's made his own modifications to them as he's gone along. Sometimes to fit the format, sometimes just to make the story better. So I'm very curious to see what he does. I mean, in the preview that we've heard so far, Ripley's already got more lines for a start. Is it the same Ripley that was in Out of the Shadows? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, that's good. Laurel Lefko, I think I think her name is. So yeah. I'm, I'm curious so thank you everybody for listening if you want to check us out on our hub we are avpgalaxy.net uh, that's all the news that's all the articles uh, reviews uh, message boards probably the you know last remaining mega active uh, alien and predator message board left alive so go check that out if you're still inclined to talk in uh, a more organized fashion. I really do have an issue with Facebook groups. I think they're a bit too with with the structure of Facebook groups. I don't like how stuff can get lost in um in the conversation. Uh, but that's just me and my little bit of OCDness. But if you are more inclined for Facebook discussion, we do have a group where we're also on all the socials: Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, uh, YouTube. YouTube doesn't really count as a social though. But that's Alien vs Predator Galaxy or AVP Galaxy. I think will pretty much bring us up on all of those. Um, YouTube's 
being a little bit more active lately. We've just finished a Let's Play of AVP Requiem. There's been some new content up for the lore stuff. Um, we are intending to do a Let's Play of Alien Isolation at some point, but honestly, I'd like to go back and check out a lot of the um, the previous materials and the podcast and stuff like that, so we've got that behind-the-scenes knowledge freshly banked for when we're actually playing through. That should be fun. And by fun, I mean fucking terrifying and and pank crapping so uh, if you want to hear me scream like a little girl that will be the uh, that will be the i'm very here. much looking forward to it if you'd like to follow me personally on twitter i am underscore corporal hicks and that's avpness that's um stargate star trek airsoft um, yeah stuff like that rich top where can folk find you online uh, if you'd like to follow me personally, you can find me as RidgeTop21, and that's on Twitter and Instagram. What kind of stuff do you tweet? Uh, mostly sci-fi stuff. On Instagram, I do a, a whole bunch of different... It's just like a, my photo sketchbook, pretty much. But there is some alien stuff in there. And Xenomorph and you do not have Twitter, but you have DeviantArt. Where can folk find your artwork? Sat Scent Analysis. Spelt a bit weird if you do it. It's a combination of Sentinel and Analysis, so put them together and you've got the right spelling. Um, I do have some actual (laughs) alien-related content on there to do with the 40th anniversary. It's a smaller rendering than was ideal because it took ages to render but i'm going to do a larger version that's a proper wallpaper size so it's a as i say a 40th anniversary alien celebration tribute that's subversive minimalism once you see it you'll get it and ultramorph where can folks stalk you online (laughs) well obviously i'm ultramorph over on the forum and if you want to find me i'm on uh, twitter i'm a grnbrndd12 over on twitter i mostly just retweet the onion a lot and alien and predator news (laughs) (laughs) fair enough Yeah, okay, so I I hope everybody's enjoyed this one. I think it's gone on a fair bit longer than I was actually anticipating. Yeah. <laughs> That's because it turned into not just a comic. Oh, we had some tangents, episode. yeah. And talking about the script as well. But it's been fun, and, and hopefully you guys uh, listening, and guys and girls listening, will have enjoyed it as well. This has been Corporal Hicks. Ridge Stop. Xenomorphine. And Ultramorph. Signing off. <laughs>